Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joe Tossi from TechTables.com, and you're listening to the Public Sector Show by TechTables. This podcast features human-centric stories from public sector CIOs, CISOs, and technology leaders across federal, state, city, county, and higher education. You'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews, speaking engagements, live podcast tour events. We offer you a behind-the-mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves. Today we have Bert Corfort, Deputy CIO for IT Infrastructure at the City of Houston. Bert. Thank you, Joe. I'm honored to be here. I've watched you in action and live and you you go all out and I'm honored to be here and, and impressed with your work. Looking forward to this very much. Thank you, sir. That is a great honor. We love sharing stories, highlighting people and leaders all throughout the country. And one of my fastest upcoming favorite cities is Houston. There's a lot of great people there. It was, it was a lot of fun at Hotel Zaza. I was stoked you were able to make it out. And and then just stoked to connect afterwards because I don't know if the audience, is, they're in for a treat today. But for those in the audience who don't know you yet, Bert, just kick off a little bit about your background and, and who you are. Now, a quick word from one of our brand partners. Nagar was a leading provider of digital government services, partnering with state, local, and federal clients on some of their most strategic technology projects. Nagar offers expertise in digital services, legacy modernization, case management, data and AI, service desks, cybersecurity, and more. Check out Nagaro.com. That's N-A-G-A-R-R-O.com. Sure. I've been doing this for over 30 years, 33 to be exact. I have a Bachelor of Science in Computer Science with a minor in Mathematics from Texas A&M University, Gigam Aggies. And for show the, the last 30 cup. Show the coffee cup. For those uh, on video, I, got, show, I know you got I it. Here. Yeah. I got everything. I got my ring. Who knows? We can go for hours talking about the Aggies, but <laughs> we digress. got to get going. So, so I've been doing this for 33 years, been involved in every facet of the IT in- industry you could think of. Started off out of college, working at a, at a company called Conoco of Oil and Gas. I was a programmer and a DBA. And then I had an opportunity to move to Compaq, where I worked at Compaq and HP for just short of a quarter of a century, doing everything you could think of in the IT function. Uh, and then in 2019, the opportunity to come work for the city of Houston came up. I jumped at the opportunity, fascinating job. Fascinating place to work. Love it here. And I've been here since 2019. I started in that position as an assistant director, still in infrastructure, but focused on the compute side of the house. So end user services, the service desk, PCs, the data centers, server storage, cloud, Microsoft 365 services. And then just about a year ago, the deputy CIO of infrastructure position came open a year and a half ago. And, uh, I had the honor to interview for and earned the position of Deputy CIO of Infrastructure. So in addition to the compute side, I'm also responsible for telecommunications and the network, our call centers and things of that nature too. So all things infrastructure from the city of Houston. I love that. Did you ever think that you would be in this position today if you were to look back at a younger version of BERT? Honestly, I don't, I, this is a position that I've aspired. It really wasn't on my radar screen. About 10 years ago, I decided I, the upward mobility no longer was what I cared about in my career. It was more finding and work that was challenging and rewarding. So the fact that this one came to be, I also had to work hard 
and improve myself dramatically to be able to earn the position I'm at now because it requires an additional next level of leadership. And I did work and prepare and practice and get ready and uh, continue to strengthen my, my leadership skills and coordination skills and communication skills along the way to set myself up for success in this position. Yeah, I love that. I love the journey. We're going to talk later in this podcast episode just about the value of continuous improvement and um, and, the, and the team at the city of Houston, which I would use the phrase is leveling each other up as a high school basketball coach. So I, I love that. If we, one of the things I loved, and I just knew this podcast was going to go heavy on sports, is when you told me you were a big sports fan, I knew we were going to be in trouble. So if I had more time and not doing three podcasts today and a bunch of phone calls, I could talk to you for longer than 60 minutes. <laughs> so, but if you could just maybe talk about a time, I love combining sports and kind of the IT space. Talk about a time when you had to handle yourself under pressure related to a major infrastructure outage. Sure, absolutely. So as Joe, as you mentioned, sports has been a humongous and important critical part of my life since I was a little boy. I played sports as a kid up through high school, mostly basketball and, and, and baseball. And we'll talk more about that as we go through the podcast. But for the purpose of this particular area around an outage. So I, my dad used to tell me that when you're playing an intensely pre high pressure basketball games and you're at the free throw line towards the end of the game and your job is to hit the free throws so your team can be successful and you handle the pressure and, be, and are successful, those are skills that you build as a foundation as a kid growing up that then can be applicable and adaptable to the rest of the world. So to be to manage an infrastructure division and going through numerous infrastructure outages throughout my three decade career, you have to be able to be calm under pressure. Now, I'm gonna, what I wanna talk about a little bit about is the difference in pressure in the private sector versus the public sector. So in the private sector, things happen, things break, you get the teams together, you work through the problem and you resolve it. And then afterwards, as part of the, the ITIL process and the problem management phase, you then look at what happened, what's the postmortem. And usually what ended up happening in the private sector is the company lost one point, you know, X million dollars of, of anticipated revenue during that time period for whatever the product line is that was impacted. In the public sector, it's completely different pressure, meaning if we mess up on the infrastructure side for, a net, for an outage, we're potentially on the news because we provide city services to citizens. Now, I'm going to be a little bit generic in my example here, mostly because your podcast is so popular and hackers are probably watching. So I want to be real careful what I say. But so I had been here a couple of months, basically just started. And we, it was on a Saturday morning and we were doing an infrastructure upgrade that Nine times out of 10, not, you know, 90 times out of 100, 99 times out of 100 would go fine. Something went bump, and it caused a, the authentication and connection to the storage for a mission-critical application to break. And my original plan for that day was to watch college football, and I didn't watch a single play the whole day because we were working this outage, and we had to. So after X number of hours, while the teams were troubleshooting and working through things, it became evident that if we didn't fix this this very quickly, we were going to end up on the news. And the good news is we were able to shortly thereafter resolve the issue and get uh, the, the service back online. It was an eye opener for me of having been to the city only for a couple of months, still learning, getting my feet under me, learning how things worked and realizing, wow, 
you know, this public sector, the pressure on the, for an infrastructure outage is, is much more immense than it would be in the private sector. You know, it, my parents and mom, family watching the news would, would not see the fact that we had an infrastructure outage in the pu private sector for the most part, but, but goodness, in the, in the public sector, you're front and center. If you mess up you, and you mess up the ability for citizens to, to take care of services, then, then we're front and center. So it's an, it's an intense additional amount of pressure that you have to be able to manage, but to manage an outage effectively, you have to be calm under pressure at all times. That is really great insight. I think what comes to mind is when you're on the court, you're focusing, you're trying to visualize, kids are screaming. So I guess you can count that to like the news agencies or whatever are, are screaming <laughs> on the news, but there's that pressure and you focus and you're focusing. Maybe talk about the mindset, like how do you focus to try and resolve? I'm sure you're triaging your way through very quickly to figure out how we can get this resolved. Talk about kind of the mindset piece that's required for CIOs to focus on that. It's very similar to, for those that have played basketball and have been on the free throw line with a bunch, you know, all the pressure on you, you have to focus on the job at hand, which is, you know, make the free throw. And in, in infrastructure outage, it's not much different. The, the difference though is in outages and, and efforts that I would drive and coordinate was there's, you have to have, be thinking ahead, similar to baseball. And one of the reasons I love baseball is it's a strategic game where you're thinking multiple innings ahead, the manager about the, the, the moves he's going to, he's going to make and so on. So from an infrastructure standpoint, it's very similar, which means we have an outage, something's wrong. Okay. Now we're going to do this, but then if that doesn't work, what's next. And thereafter, what's next. So I might, what I try to do in my head is to position myself saying, we're trying multiple things. What can we do in parallel? And what can we do to say, if, this doesn't work. What's the next one that we tee up very quickly? A lot of times it requires interfacing with vendors, which when you call and initiate contact with vendors, they're not, you know, they're not going to call you back in 60 seconds. It takes a little bit of time. So teeing up those things to be done in parallel, that then with the goal at the you know, beginning with the end in mind, we've got to restore service. You've got to be working things in parallel and be thinking ahead. So to me, that's the huge part versus just trying you know, and serially working and, and working on step one, step two, step three, you got to be thinking ahead and that's calmly really, forcing that. Yeah, no, that's really great insight. No, that's that. I, I love the mindset piece so much. Just, I think it's so, it's just so critical. And speaking of mindset, a really great of mindset that's required is when you give presentations and we mm -hmm. talked about this. And so I was kind of curious, like what is the most challenging part of giving a presentation and making the business case for your technology initiatives. What are those two to three learnings that you have on how best to prepare going into a presentation like that? All right, sounds good. So stepping back from giving presentations, after I, I graduated from Texas A&M and started working, my father convinced me to take a, a professional speaking class based on, it was a Dale Carnegie class, it's still available today where it's based on his How to Win Friends and Influence People book and, and being able to present yourself accordingly to put your case together and to be able to articulate and communicate yourself effectively. So to me, that was a building block that I'm, I'm uh, really proud of that I've taken and I'm, I'm working with my children as they get older to do the same thing. So having said, that's the building block for giving presentations. Now, from a, a perspective about what are some of the, the key aspects, there's three things that I I look at first off when you give a presentation, you have to know your audience, and you got to know the message you're trying to get apart, and what what you need from them in the end. 
And you got to be clear. Second is be clear, concise, and direct. Talk it at a high level and be able to dig into the details. That's especially important for executives to, to talk at the executive level. You can't go into too much meat and detail. You got to bring that, bring it up a level and then dig down as needed. And then third, practice. So back to the sports analogy, you got to practice before you can go play game seven of the NBA finals or the Super Bowl. Now, some of the presentations that I give in my, my role as deputy CIO of infrastructure are to uh, a subcommittee of the city council called the Transportation Technology and Infrastructure Committee. And this is required because in a lot of cases, the, infra the Houston IT services team of which the infrastructure division is, has money allocated for us to go do things to help improve our infrastructure. On an annual basis, we're, we're requesting funds to go refresh our PCs for employees, to refresh servers and storage and data centers, to refresh our network equipment. And in order to go do that, we have to go make the business case to city council to say, you know, may I spend this money? And here's why we want to spend it. So the key is all those three points are, are required. And to make sure that we present the business case effectively, that we are being financial stewards of the money that are given to us from the taxpayers and that we manage the money appropriately and that we spend it as we say we're going to spend it and we do what we say we're going to do. And then we're back consistently with the, the same committee over time, reinforcing the same message, delivering on what we say we're going to do, committing to our promises and delivering on them and then keeping them updated. That builds credibility trust by doing what you say you're going to do when you're going to do it. And a lot of these cases, these are multi-million dollar requests to do important things for the city. So it's really important that presentations be structured properly, that you get your point across for the business case that you're trying to make. In my case, it's we were proposing spending money to refresh infrastructure that'll improve city services, that'll help citizens, that'll help our employees be more productive. That, you know, in the end, we have people that if they want, need to call 311, Within the city limits, our systems handle that. So this is a lot of the money we go ask for are to justify and improve city city and citizen services. And uh, you have to make the case appropriately because if you don't, you're not going to be approved. And you have to do what you say you're going to do when you say you're going to do it. And the most important message is to be able to convey that and practice. You can't just show up. I wrote a few slides and now I'm here to present it. Any presentation that I give, I practice dozens upon dozens of times offline. That part right there is a phenomenal clip that I hope everyone just takes. I think a lot of times it's easy for a lot of folks to think, oh, you just get up on stage or you give this presentation and no one sees the hours you put in. Like we talked about earlier, just tying in the knowing your audience, be clear, concise, direct practice. I was visualizing myself interviewing Lisa Kent for maybe mm -hmm. six months, six months before I actually interviewed her, right? Same thing with Chris, with Dr. Chris Mitchell, you know, whether that's Tim Romer uh, or, or Ryan Murray or any of the folks who come on the podcast. It takes practice. I spend a lot of time in front of a mirror, so which is pretty funny. So my wife will always will be laughing or she'll be the audience of one. And I'm like practicing delivery and she's not, nah, I don't really like that. And so you get the feedback. And so a lot of times by the time you see what happens on stage, it's just been refined. And, and I was reading the story about Jerry Seinfeld and it, he would go to clubs where nobody knew him and he would tell these jokes and he would tell 10 of them and nine of them would bomb. And the one that was a hit, 
he would take and add it to his collection. So he kept doing this, kept going to these clubs. And so by the time the big show happens, oh, this guy's really funny. The 10 jokes he told were amazing. But behind the scenes, really, it's like he told probably a thousand jokes. And these were just the 10 that really showed up. In hundreds of hours. Absolutely. So yeah. I have, a, if you mind, I have a quote, and I'm gonna. You're not. People aren't gonna be able to read it necessarily, but I have this on my wall, and you saw me reach over a minute ago and pull it down. This is a quote from Muhammad Ali that I love, and it's all about preparation. So this are his a quote from him. He said, "The fight is won or lost, far away from witnesses, behind the lines, in the gym, and out there on the road, long before I dance under those lights." So I live and breathe by that every day is an important thing that I live by when you give presentations and do other things is you don't just show up. you got to practice. And that's from Muhammad Ali, you know, the, arguably the greatest fighter of all time. I love that. I love that quote. The fight is won or lost far away from the witnesses behind the lines in the gym and out there on the road long before I dance under those lights. Uh, yeah, I absolutely love that. I think a lot of times people will ask me, Joe, it's like you were just meant for podcasting. It's just is so it's just amazing that this is where you are today. And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally blessed. But no one listened to the other three podcasts I started. No one even knows about those. I mean, I guess if you're in the public sector, you know about me. But in Santa Barbara, where I live, no one knows I host a podcast. No one cares that I host a podcast. Everyone knows me as Coach Tosti. So when I'm around town, that's just what people know me as. And so yeah, there you go. And so, but it takes a lot of time and a lot of practice. So I, I love that quote a lot. That's fantastic. Uh, the gym my wife and I go to is, is great. They've got these quotes up there. Daily habits determine success, which going back the the fight or won or loss. I mean, you need daily habits to win. Intensity cannot replace consistency. You have to be consistent. You can't just show up for one presentation or one podcast you have you know you have to be consistent which i love anytime you're trying to do anything that require that's a worthy endeavor it just requires you to evolve as a person get better improve figure out what you know where the gaps are and how you can go to the next level the last one they have in the gym is nothing great happens inside your comfort zone i'm gonna say that again for the i'm gonna say that again for the audience nothing great happens inside your comfort zone. I can't even tell the audience the number of times that I have been so nervous or scared. Actually, it happens. It still happens to today. When I'm up on stage and right before the camera team's like, hey, we're good, I am so nervous. And most people don't really, you know, unless my wife, she she would might know, but you just kind of have to push through. Do you kind of feel the same? Like when you're giving a presentation, you're like, and then once you start, you're, you kind of are going, but that moment, like right before, I don't know, I, maybe it's just me. I'm just, I get really nervous. No, it's, it's the rush. I mean, it's the rush of what's about to start, right? You know, the, to, similar to a sports now, Jim, about to go to the free throw line. I keep going back to that one. It's the initial, but then when you get the ball and you start getting ready, same thing as you sit down in front of the microphone or you're standing up in front of an audience, like you're saying, Take a deep breath, and and that's where the calmness comes in, and the preparation comes in. Now, if you haven't prepared, then it's going to be completely different. But if you're prepared, like I know you are, because I've seen you in action, and it's uh, a plus that 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 goes away very quickly. It's and then it becomes to time to execute. Time to execute, yeah. And it, it, with the kids, I and mean, we, you know, when we shoot free throws, 
it's not at the beginning of practice when they have 100% of their energy. The reason they shoot at the end is because they're tired. And if you're in a crosstown rivalry game, you're going to get beat up and it's going to be pretty hard. And when you go to the free throw line, that's where a lot of games are won or lost. And you're, each side is going to have calls that they get or not get. But at the end of the day, it's like you can control hitting the free throws. So that's why we shoot at the end of practice. I love that. So kind of curious as we continue on our theme, love to hear about a time when you had to work with your team to overcome a challenge. You mentioned the infrastructure outage. Could you maybe talk about kind of the team dynamics of working together in that challenge? Yeah, sure. So now, you know, talking about a, a, around an infrastructure outage and how to bring the team together. So this one, I'm going to go back a couple of decades in my career. Uh, it was back in the private sector. And in addition to my day-to-day job that I had at the time, there would be, I would be called in to help with uh, uh, various uh, issues. So for example, a major outage or major issues are impacting the business in certain areas and the core team would be involved. And again, this is not related to the city, but I think it's a, it's a good example of, of the importance of teamwork and collaboration is I was asked to come in and help because I earned the and, and had skills that I practiced from, as I mentioned, from sports and so on, whereas I, I like to be able to bring people together. So in, in these cases, I would go into, I don't want to say hostile environment, like going into an opposing team's gym and playing them in basketball. That's not what I'm really meaning here. But basically, it's coming in. I'm an outsider to a team their area that they're very prideful on and proud of are having issues and they're frustrated, the management's frustrated. So what I would, what I was asked to do is come in, work through what was happening, put together a plan, articulate that plan, help them bring it across the finish line to resolve it and then go back. So we called them tiger teams. And having worked with people and focusing on the people aspects, I would have to earn their trust, come in, show I was part of the team. I wasn't there to do anything. I wasn't there to take anyone's jobs. I was just there to help solve the problem. So so working together, team building from that standpoint, collaboration and communication of all working together towards a common goal, which is to stop the noise, resolve the issue and improve the service. In the end, I was asked to do that numerous times in my previous career, you know, same career, but in the private sector. And I look back at that proudly because I was asked to do that on multiple occasions, stepping outside of my comfort zone and my normal job just to help the company and the department to continue to improve. So looking, I look back at that in my career as one of the proudest moments I have where leadership saw that I had skills in bringing people together and collaborating and working as a team to, to, to drive forward towards a common goal and to resolve a problem in this case. Yeah, I really like that example a lot when jumping back to the audience is like more sports. Yeah, more sports. It's just so great. In high school basketball games, in very high, stressful situations, emotions run high. And the reason I bring that up is because I know with adults, emotions run high. I know because I talk to a lot of people. So especially when there are critical projects that are they're trying to get executed on, uh, emotions are running high, people can be frustrated. And, and a lot of times that can stem from some positive feelings of wanting to be successful and and wanting the right result. And sometimes it doesn't, but for a lot of folks and for a lot of kids, it's just they're over, I call over enthusiastic. And what I noticed is on the coaching front, your job as the coach is to really 
manage the emotions. Like when I'm the coach, I'm like part-time therapist. I'm not even kidding. I am seriously part-time therapist. And it's your job to manage the emotions of the team because usually the bench is getting riled up when there's a, you know, a foul that's called or a technical foul that's called. And, and there's a lot of, uh, no way, that's a, <laughs> no one should make that call. And so your job is kind of the coach is to corral the team and to keep them focused, especially near the end of the game where it's your job as the leader of the team to keep them focused because if they lose their focus, they're probably going to blow the game. And so I love what you said about the collaboration and the communication is that is so critical in holding the team together. As we jump, I know the audience is, is laughing at the sports, but any past projects that you love to brag about that you've implemented with the city of Houston, specifically on the infrastructure side, Bert? Yeah, absolutely. So while there's many projects that I'm proud of, and I, want, I don't want to diminish any of the ones that our infrastructure division has done, there's one that I want to call out because of its game-changing nature. So when I mentioned I started City of Houston in 2009, and at the time, the, the work environment and the technology made available to the employees were designed for in the office at your desk work. So the majority of the people had desktops, didn't have laptops, and in order to do their work, they had to be at their desk. So which was a was an opportunity for us to improve. Now we were able to transform that for one positive thing that came out of the pandemic was the federal government provided CARES Act funding to state and local governments, of which we made the case through our CIO director, Lisa Kant, that I know you've met, and was able to acquire funding to go purchase laptops. So we purchased a bunch of laptops and in two, two and a half month period, we replaced almost 2000 of those desktops with laptops to drive forward what we call the more mobile workforce, which means people now have laptops, they can work where they are. They can work at their desk. They can bring their laptop to a conference room. They can go to another city building and work. They can go out in the field and work, or they can work remotely, work wherever they are, more productive, by providing a more mobile workforce, which has really transformed the way we do business. And with the pandemic, that drives other technology capabilities to collaborate using you know, software solutions, like in our case, we're a Microsoft shop, so Microsoft Teams and other things of that nature. I'm not trying to call it a specific vendor, but in this case, these tools give us collaborative options that if you didn't have a laptop working where you are, would be, you'd, you'd be more constrained in what, how productive you were able to be. I love it. Yeah, 2,000 laptops. It's a lot of laptops. Um, and yeah, it just provides a lot of different opportunities to being able to deploy that. And so yes, shout out to Lisa Kent for making that happen. As we wrap this up, Bert, this has been a fantastic conversation. I love how much sports we get to talk. It's just, it's right on my alley. Leadership, collaboration, communication. We're over 150 episodes. If the audience hasn't figured out, that's what we're about. I don't know what to tell them, but this has been a ton of fun. Who are the next two to three CIOs or tech leaders that you love to hear next on the podcast, Bert? Not, I'm going to toot the city of Houston's horn a little bit more. <clears throat> so from a city of Houston perspective, I know that, Joe, on your podcast, you had Summer Shall, who introduced us all, as we talked about before, it then led to the big, huge event, that hugely successful event that you hosted in Houston for an all-day-long uh, all podcast with our director and CIO, Lisa Kent, was there. 
our chief information security officer, Dr. Christopher Mitchell was there. There's a, a couple of others that I would recommend. One is Dr. Jane Wu, who runs our, was also in our HITS department. She's coming uh, on next week. On, She's coming yeah, on awesome. next week. Yeah. yeah so you're speaking ahead. Data privacy, contract administration. She's a lawyer. She's a PhD. And another one of the extremely driven people, like you mentioned, from the HITS leadership team for the names I mentioned. They help me, all help me grow and be, be, and get better because they're all getting better and they're challenging me and others. And the other would be also a, a HITS executive team member. His name is Nick Curran. He runs the public safety communications division. So basically, in a nutshell, providing radios to, to the policemen, to the firemen, the critical city personnel to communicate and use on a daily basis to protect citizens, to protect the city very effectively. And, and he's very passionate about his work too. I love it. I think the city of Houston is like taking over this podcast. I'm not even gonna lie. It's, <laughs> it is awesome. I love hearing all of the great stories. Yeah, super excited for Jane to come on. I met with her total gem. And then yeah, Nick Curran, we'll have to reach out to Nick. And I, I love the public safety haven't covered too much of that. So love to hear lights. And that's a, you know, very important piece in providing radios to police officers and other folks in the community. Bert, this was a ton of fun. I'm excited. I can't wait to see you in person again. As is, I just, I, I love the in-person. The virtual is nice, but I really love the in-person. That's, I'm with you to understand the time constraint because we could be here for another three or four hours integrating sports into our conversation. As passionate we're both about sports and uh, how much it's taught me, I, it's foundational for my success as the, the, the playing sports as a, as a kid. I love it said well thank you for coming on the public sector show by tech tables and super excited to release this episode thank you very much joe hey what's up everybody this is joe tossi from techtables.com and you're listening to the public sector show by tech tables this podcast features human-centric stories from public sector cios CISOs, and technology leaders across federal state city county and higher education you'll gain valuable insights into current issues and challenges faced by top leaders through interviews speaking engagements live podcast tour events we offer you a behind the mic look at the opportunities top leaders are seeing today. And to make sure you never miss an episode, head over to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and hit that follow button and leave a quick rating. Just tap the number of stars that you think this show deserves.